people at the time of Jesus, or the Jewish people at the time of Jesus, were looking for the Messiah, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. We talked a little bit about this idea last week if you were here, but to build on that, they were looking for this Messiah, this Son of God, this heir of David, who would come into the world and change things in a big way. They were looking for this person who had been prophesied by the Old Testament prophets to come and right wrongs and institute a new perfect age and a new kingdom of Israel. Those folks at the time of Jesus were especially attuned to this because they were under Roman conquest. They were persecuted in their own homeland. And they were looking for a Messiah by the time of Jesus who would specifically come and run out the Romans, sit on ancestor David's throne and Jesus very obviously as we've talked about is not going to be a Messiah like fight like they expected yet here comes Jesus onto the scene who many recognize as the Messiah this one who came to make salvation possible for all people one who came proclaiming the kingdom of God and if you're like me maybe sometimes you feel a little bit like those first century Jewish people who were looking for Jesus to come and sort of fix everything, bring an end to this age and, and enter into and, and usher in a perfect eternal kingdom as he's promised to do. That's what Jesus is talking about in this morning's scriptures. Hear now the word of God from the gospel according to Matthew, the 24th chapter, verses 36 through 44. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in a field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming. Jesus 
coming into the world again. It puts us, Advent does, in the tension between the already and the not yet. It puts us in a tension between what God has already done in Jesus Christ and what God has yet to do, but promised to do in Jesus Christ. In the already, Jesus was born at Christmas. He grew, he taught, he preached, he showed in his life a better way to live. He conquered death on the cross, and his resurrection made salvation possible for all. That's the already. We can remember that, but we also have to anticipate the not yet. That Jesus promised to return and bring in a new age, one in which we can live in perfect eternity. And we are living in that in-between time. But, if we were to look at a timeline, we would see that Jesus coming back is the next thing. And so we need to be ready. And I think that's what Jesus is calling us to in these verses, to be ready. My first appointment, my very first church, was actually two little churches that I served part-time while I was in seminary. And the parsonage and the bigger church on that appoint, that charge of being a Methodist girl's call, it was in a little town called Lounsville. Now, if you've ever heard of Lounsville, I'd be very surprised. And I'd like to talk to you and figure out how you know where it is. But it's a little town sort of outside of Abbeville, and I say sort of because it's really not close to anything, but it is in Abbeville. And to put the, the location of this town in perspective, when Ellen and I learned that we were moving to Lounsville, we went and met our district superintendent at the district office in Anderson. And we were going to meet with him for a few minutes, and then we were going to follow him from Anderson down to Lounsville, where we would meet with Pastor Harris Relations Committee. They did not have a staff Harris Relations Committee like we do at Central, because I wasn't staffed, so they just called it Pastor's Harris Relations Committee. So we drove down there, and we're, Ellen and I are following our district superintendent in his car, and we drive for a little while, and we drive for a little while more, and I said, Ellen, I think this man is lost. I don't know where we're going, but we can't be missed, and we, we, we must have missed it. And um, this is before, you know, a GPS on your phone or anything like that. So we were just following the car in front of us. And just about the time I decided we needed to turn around, it still pulled into this little town. Town of 200 people. Uh, when my, our son was born there, he increased the population by a considerable amount. The percentage is I say 200 people in four churches, so that gives you a sort of how the town was situated. Maybe it grew on a greater metropolitan area if you included the countryside of about 1,000 people. But when I got there and I was getting summonses, I wanted to, you know, go around and visit people. And so I did as I had been instructed to do, both as a, a child just growing up. My mother taught me to never show up at someone's house. It's totally unexpected. And when I was taught to, to more veteran pastors, they say, if you want to make a visit, always call and make anybody unawares. So I did as I was instructed to do. When I wanted to go see people, I'd pick up the phone. And I very much remember the first pastoral call I made was, um, first of all, at the end of that call, this woman I visited called everybody in town and said, that little preacher came up here to see you. I was that six foot two little preacher that was, but anyway, that's beside the point. But I called her and I was saying, I want to know if I can come visit you. When should I come? Well, whenever you get ready. 
They were always ready to receive something. It's just what happened. If you happen to be driving by their house, you said, I bet y'all stopped and see so-and-so today. Maybe we should stop and visit. That was just, and, and, and notice that it didn't matter, as I was visiting Moses, that it didn't matter the size of the house. Big house, small house, whether they just had one room that you walked right into or, or a formal living room and some other room somewhere else where the magazine was stacked up. They always walk in at any moment and it would be dusted and there wouldn't be laundry folded on the sofa. You would be ready. They'd be ready to receive you. They'd be ready to visit with you. They were always ready. Now that doesn't mean that there are other parts of the house where there wasn't folded laundry somewhere that was not a, a dresser. But it meant that there was a part of the house where they were always ready for you to come sit in and visit with them in. And they were ready for you and happy for you to drop by at any time. And I use that as an analogy to help me think about what Jesus is talking about. Because I don't know what your living room looks like. I'm sure it is immaculate. But I bet there are parts of your house that you don't want company to see. Jesus here is saying you need to always be ready for him. In my grandparents' house, there was a broken clock that sat on a Because he, as sure as, as anything to be sure of, every day he had 3.30 in the afternoon and 3.30 in the morning. And when that hour came, the clock on the mantle was correct. We could be sure 3.30 was coming, even if that clock wasn't going to be the clock that let us know that it was getting close. Friends, in verse 36 of the scripture I just read, Jesus is saying, But it's the next thing, and we need to be ready. 3.30, for example, is coming whether we're ready or not. The little town where I graduated from high school was a mill town. Multiple textile mills, and the biggest one was Chargers. Chargers Baby Clothes, it's not there anymore, but if you had baby clothes in the 80s and into the 90s, early 2000s, chances are they came. And the whole town functioned by the mill whistle. Whether you worked at the mill or not, everybody in town heard the mill whistle. And even if you lost, and you wanted to know when 3.30 came, we called it rush hour. 
shifts were changing and people were leaving the day shift. They were, as 3.30 approached, everything got busy. And then when the whistle blew, if you hadn't already done what you needed to do, you were kind of stuck. People listened for 3.30. People planned around 3.30. They knew when it was coming. Well, the brother, they knew that it was coming, even if they weren't paying attention and it was Mike Pitch folks unawares. Jesus is getting at this idea that we need to be prepared that something we know is going to happen, even if we can't know the time. That we are stuck in this time of tension between the already and the not yet, between what God is, has done and what God will do. And what's left for us to do as we worship is simply live into that time. But what's left for us to do as Christians out there in the world is to live as people who are ready. To continue to do the work of the kingdom of God until the kingdom of God arrives in its fullness. This morning as we celebrate communion, we're reminded that we are in this in-between time. Communion situates us in this time of the already and the not yet. We recall what Christ has done for us in the past. We anticipate what Christ does for us in the future, all the while celebrating Christ's spiritual presence with us here and now. So as we begin this season of Advent together, I invite you, let's make ourselves ready. Let us pray. God of glory, we know you were coming at an unexpected hour. May we be aware of your presence. Take us up 